Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of Ukrainian football in English language. I'm your host, as always, Adam from Ukrafoot24, and it's great to be back. We're into the nitty-gritty of pre-season now. After our last episode where we made all our expert predictions on what was going to happen, it's great to be back again with my two wonderful co-hosts, Andrew and Ray. Good evening, guys. Hope you're well. Hope you've had as enjoyable two weeks as I've had. Andrew, I mean, last week, let's be honest, we weren't very optimistic about what was going to happen in the European campaign. What has actually happened? Uh, well, Dynamo got through and Vorskla didn't. So I think it was the opposite of what we predicted. And, you know, you could say from both performances... It was a strange one. Dynamo probably on the footballing side of things, you know, over the two legs, didn't overtly deserve to go through because they didn't have many chances. They didn't play particularly well attackingly, but they still made it with a bit of luck, uh, thanks to the red card from Fenerbahce, having a bit of, you know, that spirit to rile them up from a hostile away crowd, which I think Ukrainian sides sort of thrive on of late. Similarly. Um, great to see, obviously, Karavayev score. Um, a player that I think will be getting a lot of more chances in a more attacking position this season with the fact that Viktor Tsahankov is pushing for a move away. Currently, we don't know where he's going to go. Apparently, a, a Premier League sider after him. Who knows about that in the reality of things that it's unnamed so far. So maybe we might be seeing the likes of Karavayev in and around those areas. So that would be interesting to see and good to see him getting on the score sheet as well in that one, uh, especially against a former side and proving um, those very in poor taste Fenerbahce fans who were shouting about um, the Hoyla. They got their just desserts, I think, at the end of that game. Sadly, obviously, the negative was Vorskola. And I think after the first leg, we were all chatting and quite positive about it. Uh, the worldie from Chiliadin, the free-flowing attacking football. Then the second leg was slightly lower in uh, quality, attacking quality, that is. Still some haphazard defending that I'm sure Vodka will have to work on. But their season's over, thanks to a very dodgy uh, goal line decision, no goal line technology in these early rounds of the Conference League for whatever reason. Um, a ball that looked like it was over the line in some angles, in other angles it didn't. And, you know, it's one of those ones where you never will know unless there's technology. So that's how it is. I think we can't get hung up on it too much. Sadly, it means that obviously Ukraine have got only um, four of their five teams left in Europe. But looking at the draws, you'd hope that the remaining three in the qualifiers make it to the group stages of whatever UEFA competition it is. And, you know, positive things all round. And, you know, just to add to that, Dynamo Kiev um, guaranteed a Europa League group stage spot now. They lose to Sturm over the next couple of weeks. Then they drop into the Europa League group stages uh, straight away. Ray, were you as shocked as me with that result in Istanbul? I mean... I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was I was flicking through the feed all the way through on Wednesday night. And yeah, after last year when it was zero goals in six group stage matches to go into Istanbul and get two goals like that. Are we optimistic for Dinamo this year? It took guts for Dinamo in Istanbul to get such a result. Uh, it was also a controversial goal. It was. It happened at pretty much the same time with Karavayev uh, shot over the line with the keeper bouncing it behind the net. Well, it was a clear goal, obviously, but Vorskla 
pretty much the same time, pretty much controversy with the reasoning goal. But yeah, uh, overall, let's not forget that it all happened in extra time for Dinamo. It was 1-1 uh, in the, uh, yeah, I guess it was 1-1. I'm not really sure. Probably, yes. Uh, I'm not really clear on that. Yeah. So uh, not much ground over there to be optimistic as as per usual, as we discussed previously about the Ukrainian clubs, I'm still saying, I, in case you haven't watched this episode, the previous one where we discussed it, I would like to repeat myself, we will not succeed in the Europa League, Conference League, or Champions League this season. It's just not going to happen. It's not because I don't want it to happen. It's just like that. And that's the way it is. Um, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> I've got to say, though, I mean, for me, Andrew, looking back at the Vorska game really quickly, um, going into that match, I thought Vorska were going to get whipped both matches, and especially the first game. Is there any optimism there after that that maybe Vorska can... We've, we've spoken about Dnipro challenging a bit higher up the league this year. Do you see Vorska sort of moving into that potential dark horse category? after what we've seen here? Possibly. They have strengthened, obviously, in a number of areas. But whilst we've obviously been away, uh, Olivier Thiel has confirmed that he's leaving. We don't know where he's gone yet, but he's actually left. And similarly, his brother, Vincent Thiel, has left as well. So, and Vincent started in both the matches in the Europa, in the Europa Conference League and looked okay. So... That's a bit of a loss straight from the off. However, they're bringing in a uh, North Macedonian international uh, called Enna Totra from FK Tirana. Um, he's going to be in the midfield, so that'll be interesting to see. And they're also actively looking for another centre-forward uh, to add to Stepanyuk and Marlison. So maybe, you know, on the whole, they, they could have an OK team. Um, that should be at least competing for bronze spot uh, this season for certain, I think, especially Viktor Skripnik at the, at the helm. They should be good. I mean, they'll be interesting and exciting football, that's for sure. Um, it just will all depend on how uh, the defensive capabilities shape up because some of the stuff that we saw in those uh, Europa League, uh, Europa Conference League games were, you know, very susceptible and uh, look like a few liabilities in there, sadly. So I'm, I don't think they're going to be dark horses necessarily, but I think they're certainly going to be in and around the, the spots for Europe, because I think some of the other clubs that maybe we haven't seen of late, I think someone like Kriv Bas will do quite well uh, just on the basis of they've got a great manager there as there too. They've signed some good players and a few and a few others such as Alexandria and Colos, who, you know, they don't look too bad uh, going into this season. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting little uh, mix up there. We'll come on to the UPL a little later on today, but more pressing issues. The game's coming up this week, of course. We didn't expect Dinamo to be in going off to Austria to face Stone Grass, but they are. And right. How do you see the game panning out? Do you see them getting through this round or, and then stumbling in the playoffs? Or uh, is this the end of the road for Dinamo? All on, on what I said before, Adam, concerning Dinamo, it's a great um, uh, deal of uh, slight success for them to be uh, going further into the Champions League uh, qualifying stage to face uh, Sturm from Austria. Uh, although... Uh, I think you mentioned before that uh, this victory over Fenerbahce allowed them to finish in... Uh, they are in Europa League no matter what, which they are so used to in previous years. Um, so, hence, answering your question, yeah, I think that is at the end of the road right there. Uh, although, uh, I don't think that Sturm is as um, um, strong and as um, worrying opponent as Fenerbahce, um, but they've beaten medalist once. In Europa League 10 years ago it's it may be but it was quite painful and I wouldn't be surprised if it happens again I mean we know that Sturm is obviously more organized and more um, vicious team 
than Fenner because Fenner is, uh, well, it can be a mess, you know, sometimes. And we shouldn't be praising Dynamo that much. It's just that uh, the Turkish club uh, just has has not had it in them yet. And that's why they are out at that stage. Um, I would I would see Dynamo in Europa League uh, group stage. Uh, no big deal there. Uh, I would really hope they uh, would um, uh, perform with more youth uh, in at that point because um, whatever the rumors are, they've been playing the same squad for the last three years. I mean, Shaparenko, Bujalski, Tsihanko, we've seen all that. Besiedin, give me a break. So there we go. Okay, uh, if we talk about the... The national championship, I think that we clearly have a new contender this season. And I think we, we get to touch on that further on. Definitely will, definitely will. Don't agree with you, though, about the game this week. I've got to say, I'm looking at Sturmgratz, yeah, they're weaker than Fenerbahce and probably are more, more organised. You know, the, the Austrian teams don't tend to have the blow-ups the way the Turkish teams may do. But the team looks poor. The the team does look poor on paper. So it's it's one of those where even you for me, I just hope I hope that even a poor Dynamo performance can still scrape through. We could we could be looking at the 120 minutes, uh, two legs of no goals, and then maybe a penalty shoot a Bouchan masterclass to scrape scrape through to the playoff rounds, something along those lines. It is important for the coefficient, as Andrew said, you know, we've already lost one team. Um, hopefully the others will, will will pick up some victories. I mean, Andrew, do you see the, do you think there's the extra pressure, you know, maybe from the fan side, from the journalist side, being to put that there is a need to put the pressure onto Dynamo to pick up some victories? All the coefficient presently in 14th spot at the last time I looked, if I'm correct. Uh, I've not really read or heard about coefficient much from a Ukrainian standpoint at the moment. I think most are just hoping that they make it to the group stage of any tournament, really, and just represent Ukraine in that respect, because no one's really expecting anything too amazing from those performances whatever competition it's going to be. Uh, the only thing I think Dynamo are hoping for, at least their owners are, is that they make the group stages so that they can pick up that 30 million cash prize, which where it will get invested, uh, no one's really sure at the moment or, you know, however it goes. Even though there have been rumours that maybe Shakhtar and Dynamo will be distributing it to other teams in the league or something like that, but that's, I think, completely unconfirmed at the moment and, uh, not guaranteed. Just want to touch on Sturmgratz quickly. Um, I think they'll be probably a lot less intense than uh, Fenerbahce were in terms of their um, pressing and all that kind of stuff. But it is worth noting that after two match days in the Austrian Bundesliga, they have beaten RB Salzburg. So that is something to maybe keep an eye out for. Um, their 19-year-old Danish centre-forward mm -hmm. Hoyland scored twice against them. So it's something that Dynamo definitely do need to look into and not underestimate their opponents because we've seen it before, Dynamo uh, coming in thinking they've got it all sorted and then bam, bam, and they're out. Albeit, like you say, Adam, they certainly have got better quality on paper, Dynamo Kiev. It's just whether they can um, deal with that on the occasion, because I mean, Sturmgratz, I'm not sure the last time they were in the Champions League group stages, if ever. So they're obviously going to be relishing the occasion too. However, I think in reality, winning this round will be quite good. Then getting to the playoffs, if it might be a hard match, Dynamo maybe drop into the Europa League. And then there's the opportunity to get better results. And that, in essence, will provide better coefficient because last year's uh, zero wins mm -hmm. didn't help anyone really in the grand scheme of things you know as much as a win is worth more in the Champions League it's you know the gamble of getting it out of six games compared to like the Europa League where it might be a bit less but you can win more you know that's the thing you got to weigh up on and at the moment with um, the Katsaps being banned we have to try and match them slash beat their coefficient this year 
so that we can overtake them in the UEFA rankings and then potentially, you know, try and build on some of the other teams that are ahead of us, including Austria. Uh, so it, it, is, it is one of those um, showdown matches. <clears throat> I'm think it will be, I think it will be um, very exciting. Obviously, the first match will be in Lodz um, in Poland. So, you know, Dynamo just have to make the most of it. And maybe, you know, on occasions like this is where the away goal rule is probably better not there. Maybe a bit less pressure on everyone. And, you know, at the end of the day, they can do it. Because we saw the... I, I went to Everton last week. That was like... Don't read anything into that game at all. Because it was a completely second string side. Um, all, half of the team, like the star key players, didn't play at all because they played 120 minutes in the other match. So it, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. But like Ray said, it's the same team for the past three years. It looks a bit samey, samey. Not the most exciting amongst uh, other things, and we've seen that they lack a lot in that final third. So they need to try and make a fix for that rather quickly. And Vlad Supraha is now out for at least two to three months. He's having surgery on an injury he's had for apparently over a year now, but didn't disclose that until this summer. Anchuk is injured um, after a dirty challenge in that Everton match. So he's out on the left wing. And Verbic has obviously just left, albeit Verbic hasn't done much for the past, I don't know, year and a half of Dynamo Kiev. So it's, you know, it's who's going to play in that left wing spot, I think, is the biggest question of all. Uh, might we see someone like Karavayev playing there, inverted? Uh, might we see uh, the likes of Harmash playing there like he did against Everton? It, it'll be interesting, but I think it's going to be another hard slog at not very attractive football. It'll be whoever's left in the broom cupboard when they when they get there. Somebody tucked up in the back, and that will be about it. But it's, it does frustrate me. We'll mention it later when we talk about Shakhtar as well. You, 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 we've spoken forever about good young talent, and we don't see many of them getting a chance still. Anyway, Dinamo aren't the only team playing this week, are they? Zarius start their campaign. Interesting game. Do you, I mean, guys, do we expect them to beat this uh, this Universitate Craiova? I hope I pronounced it right for our dear Romanian friends there. Confident? Do we expect it? Judging from sort of the recent results of both sides, I think Zoria should be the outright favourites here and should be going through. On paper, yes, they've lost some of their key players over the past few uh, months and obviously just, you know, since the war began and in January too, but they have strengthened in some ways. They shouldn't be too bad. Um, and Universitate Craiova is actually, um, they've only got two points out of the opening three games in the Romanian league. So I think that says a lot too, that they're not the strongest side. Agreed. Looking at the potential teams that Zoria could face in the playoff round, getting a little ahead of myself here. Uh, Teams there as well should be beatable. I, I I feel confident that we'll see Zoria in the, the Conference League group stage. The Nipro one, of course, will be joining the European competition in a few weeks when they enter in the playoff round of the Europa League. At this stage, it is only there are only two matches taking place in the Europa League this week on Thursday, which would have been Dinamo if they hadn't have had such a historic victory in Turkey. Fenerbahce have the privilege of playing in the Europa League third qualifying round instead. Let's talk about Shakhtar for a little bit. Um, the Ajax game, the first half of the Ajax game in particular. Impressive performance, guys. I know you saw it, Andrew. Um, yeah, I mean, on the whole, against a rather full strength Ajax team who are who were in their final preseason match ahead of the uh, Eredivisie season, I think, yeah, they looked relatively capable of giving games to some Champions League clubs in the group stage, that's for sure. 
obviously um there was this new youngster Kozik that played for Shakhtar at the back he looked relatively okay um you know for uh, I think an 18 19 year old so he is an option there at left center back with the fact that Rakitsky has not been signing um and I think a lot of people are quite happy with that anyway um on top of that obviously the star man of the show that um I'm sure our Dynamo Abroad uh, podcast friends will love me mentioning is Mihailo Mudrik has had another obviously highlight real goal that he liked to score um, amazing acceleration and finish that he has apparently been working on quite hard in training you know after training he's doing shooting drills and all this kind of stuff and it looks like Jovicovic is trying to nurture him as best as he can um the only question is, is whether Mudrik will remain at Shakhtar by the end of the window or by the end of this week. Because on a number of um, sources, in particular coming out of Igor Burbas, um, he's saying that this week we will find out whether Mudrik is staying at uh, Shakhtar for the remainder of the season or if he's going to buy Leverkusen. So buy Leverkusen have had a 21 million, 22 million offer rejected. Um, Shakhtar apparently holding out for 25 and if they get that then it is a possibility that he might leave so if that happens then we will see if not he's apparently 99% going to remain at, at uh, Shakhtar <laughs> so it, it's it's one of those two coins and then also I've seen some rate, literally some more off-piste rumours that apparently OGC Nice in France are also interested in Mudrik, but I don't see them having anywhere near the money to, to reel him in. Um, and especially with the fact that Brentford are now signing a Damsgaard from Sampdoria for 20 million. I think that's the, you could say the replacement for Mudrik that they wanted um, at a slightly cut price deal and probably a player that's more ready and adapted to top five league football. Definitely so. I can't see, I don't see the Leverkusen deal going through myself either. Just <laughs> as a side note, Leverkusen with the shock losers in the German Cup uh, this weekend, being beaten by was it, a third division team 4-3. So if they're spending 25 million euros, it seems that it'd be better spent on the defence than another winger to join join the the group there in the west of Germany. Um, league updates, guys. Uh, the UPL, actually it's PFL first of all. There's been a couple of announcements over the last few weeks of uh, teams expressing an interest. Real Farmer uh, was one that uh, jumped to mind in particular. It's great to see the, the, the second club from Odessa there signing up for the season. But it still seems that plans are in a formative stage with uh, no real announcements coming out from the Federation there. However, the UPL has took some steps forward. Uh, I think it was just last week, wasn't it, when they announced the security protocols, the much-anticipated security protocols for uh, a season ahead where uh, certain sort of legislation regarding bomb shelters and personnel in stadium and distance bomb shelters from the grounds need to be and finally settled on a one-hour time period for air raids. After that one hour, the game will be postponed, uh, cancelled, or whatever it, it turns out to be. But uh, after one hour, the players won't be expected to return to the pitch. Interesting rumours that I'd read, of course, on the Zaria Londonsk newspaper. The grand opening of the UPL season will be Shakhtar versus Krivbas in Olimpijski. Uh, Stress the, the word rumour there, of course, not Andrew breaking anything, just... Um, as Shakhtar, I believe, are expected to play most of the games in the west of Ukraine. Andrew? Yeah, well, Ihor Borbas has got quite close connections to a number of different sides. Um, 
believe that that is the scheduled um, match on the day uh, before Ukrainian Independence Day. Um, obviously, some people are sceptical, saying, is that going to be safe to have it in on, in the Olympiski on such a date, um, with some people expecting some sort of very heightened hostilities on Independence Day as well. I've got no idea at the moment what's going to happen, but I am waiting. Apparently, we're going to find out this week on at least, I think, some of those fixtures um, for the opening few weeks or whatever. Um, so that will be good. That will be good to find out, to finally get some concrete dates um, as to what's happening. I think Shakhtar will be opening the season or more or less 100%, wherever that will be, though, because Dynamo Kiev and Dnipro 1 will not be playing in the midweek of match day one because they are most likely going to be featuring in uh, European games. Mm-hmm. So that is the thing that obviously it's um, clashing with that. So possibly match day one of the UPL may take from that Tuesday on the 23rd up until, you know, that weekend or, you know, just depending on how the different teams are going to be matched up and all that kind of stuff. Um, on top of that, uh, we've also got a uh, news from Rivne that the Rivne military administration there has allowed their new brand new build stadium Avonhart to host matches. So now we're just waiting on whether the UAF will permit it um, under the protocol of you know the bomb shelters and all that kind of stuff. Well, I can't remember who exactly it was. But someone over the weekend wrote somewhere um, or commented in an interview that they think that the only safe potential stadium in all of Ukraine is the Olympiski, which has an actual bomb shelter within sort of the premises, whereas all the others are like, even though they might be 500 metres away, they're still, you know, that's a bit of a distance and all this other kind of stuff. I'm sure that literally over the next week or so, we should find out exactly what's happening because we've been waiting for so long. And the 23rd is literally three weeks away by the time everyone's listening to this. So we need to find out exactly what's happening. And I'm sure that it will be whatever it's going to be. It's probably going to be the safest possible option that that could be done. And, you know, if you're looking into sort of all the security things and all that kind of stuff, as dangerous it probably might be to have a match at, say, the Olympiski or whatever, I'm sure there must be some sort of guarantees or high chances that the Ukrainian military think they won't be hittable um, from a certain amount of percentage uh, that they would permit it to happen there. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. Uh, Moving on to what's probably been the biggest news of the last couple of weeks... Transfer that we didn't expect to happen, did we, Ray? Now you've got a little bit more about this for us. All right. Well, there all there's always a saga, you know. These days, you've been following the tweets uh, every hour or so, and people somehow come up with the uh, most detailed uh, tales on what's going on with the. Um, Transfers and yes, one of those sagas was about uh, Alexander Zinchenko, and we slightly uh, touched on that last time. But now it's it has happened. Um, Zina has joined Arsenal from London, and uh, f- basically, what I see in that uh, move is that um, it's really uh, it does really remind me of some other legendary Ukrainian player, which was Andriy Shevchenko, and he joined another London club back in the day. And he had five factors, which I would like to uh, remind you of. There was the wife, London, the future of his kids, the potential legendary status at Milan, and the nation's prestige as an Ukrainian national team. He was 30 at that time, and Zinchenko is obviously younger now. But he does have a wife, he does have a young kid, he does. he moved to London. He is an emerging star of Ukrainian national team. He, is, he made the Swedish game on Euros last year. He was really good with Scotland. Well, you know, you know the story, right? And he spent about five years in the Manchester City. 
Shevchenko spent eight years uh, in Milan, or se seven, I think. Yes, yeah, seven years in Milan, and it's really close. And the question is, is that the same mistake? We all consider Shevchenko's move to London as a mistake. If he, if he stayed in Milan, he would have been a legend, and he, we, we would probably be a bit more proud of, uh, of him, wouldn't we? If we turn to Zinchenko, right? So, of course, Arsenal is a, is a club with history. It's not as, well, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that. It's not as shady as Manchester City, right? Whatever it is, how, whatever uh, uh, years, it doesn't matter how long you spend there. It doesn't seem to be that concrete, you know? It's clubs like this, they swap players every year. They have billions spent on marketing and stuff. They don't really care about your legend or not. Talk about Yaya Toure, Fernandinho. Yeah, there were the players, but not like Richard Dunn. Like, you know. Anyway, the question is, is Zinchenko's move worth it? And does it, uh, does it going to be, is it going to benefit? And should he have stayed in Manchester City? I'm not a fan of the move, if I'm honest. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Arsenal as, as a club in its present state. I know he's gone back and, you know, he spent time with Arteta at uh, Manchester City back in the day. But, yeah, it's a very risky move. I, I, I think Arsenal were the only club interested in him at, the, at this stage. There were there were rumours of us, but I think Arsenal, were, Andrew will probably correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, I think Arsenal was the only concrete bid on the table for him to move to. And yeah, I, I think London has a certain draw to it after spending five years in the Northwest. But yeah, I, moving away from Pep, that's that, that he, there's no guarantee he's going to be a regular at Arsenal. You will read you read a lot of stuff about Arsenal fans saying, well, we've got a great backup. No, back up left back there when Tierney's out. And you're like, oh, he wants to play central midfield. And all the Arsenal fans are already looking at him as a as a fullback. So yeah, jury's out for me. We'll probably know by Christmas if it's been the right choice or not. But yeah, at this stage, not, not happy with it. Andrew, turns at ease. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've watched uh, the past couple friendlies. Arsenal have played that Zinchuk's featured in, and he's been playing quite well. Albeit, yes, at left back, but it's something that both Zinchenko and Arteta have confirmed that that was the primary spot they've been signed for. Um, so we'll have to wait and see whether he can um, scrape into the midfield sooner rather than later, you know, if there's an injury or something like that. But on the whole, I don't see Tierney getting in there um, ahead of Zinchenko. They might say that he's a bit of a better player, but you just look at some of the things that he's been doing in those friendlies against Chelsea, against Sevilla, where they won, you know, 4-0, uh, 6-0, respectively. They're, Arsenal are looking like a Man City light, per se, in this preseason. Uh, Gabriel Jesus looks like, you know, in inspired form. I think he's going to have a great season. And, you know, as a whole, it looks like Zinchenkor even though he's only played about 100 minutes over two over those two games, you know, 45 in one, 60 in the other, or however much. He looks like he's been there for a long time. So obviously he understands what Arteta wants to bring in, which is going to probably be very similar to what Pep was doing at um, City. I think that the Arsenal team and squad is going to be a lot different to what has happened over the past couple of years. They've got rid of all the problem players um, on, the, on the main um, the one, the problem ones in the dressing room, at least, um, and I think it, it could be, it could be a very exciting season. Maybe Arsenal aren't going to be challenging for any titles, but I think they're certainly going to be a good bet for for that fourth spot. Especially just looking at Chelsea, I think might drop off this campaign um, with a bit of transition, um, some poor players in and around the team, uh, and. Man United also touch and go with what's going on. I, I think it's going to be exciting and Zinchenko should be getting a lot more minutes. That's for certain in wherever he's going to be playing left back or centre mid. And hopefully 
you know, we can see a bit more progression. Because uh, as at the end of the day, I think you can play for a manager, for what the same manager your whole career and, you know, get develop into a better and better player. But it seems that for whatever reason, Pep wasn't 100% counting on um, Zinchenko. They wanted Kukurela. They might not even be getting him now. Um, and that, that, now they're kind of screwed. They shouldn't have got rid of Zinchenko, who's, you know, ever the reliable player and all that kind of stuff. Like you saw in, in Zinchenko's farewell speech, he was like, um, I was not ready for this. And I don't know whether that's sort of a, um, just difficult for him to translate from Ukrainian or Russian, the wording um, that maybe he wasn't ready for this day to come you know, in terms of when he'd leave C or whether he just wasn't ready for the move or they all came as like a shock and a surprise that they're sort of kicking him out. Regardless, um, I think it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting and exciting season um, to to be following him. And hopefully he can, you know, play as well as he can. I'm more interested in Brentford B though, Andrew, if I'm honest with you, mate. How's, how's my boy Eagle been settling in? Not too bad, actually. I think he's played three or four matches for the under-23s or the B team, you could say, that Brentford have. However, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but Brentford B only play friendlies. They're not an official academy or anything like that. So they only play friendlies against other similar sides or other sides that do play in like the Premier League two or everywhere else. So they've had a few games against the likes of uh, Swansea under 23s. They played against Maidenhead United. Uh, they've also played against Arsenal uh, last week. And Zinchenko was sitting on the touchline after training, watching this sort of second string Arsenal side uh, lose to Brentford. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, came on like, uh, and I think like the 70th minute or so, apparently played okay. And he's also had an appearance, had a couple of appearances for the senior team. Uh, so, and got a pre-assist, if you can call it that, um, against Brighton with, you know, a little shoulder barge or whatever, um, rebounding, and then that setting up an assist for Ivan Tony. So I, th- I think it's going to be comfortable for him overall, you know, to get 100% being in the starting 11, uh, even for the B team at the looks of it. But I think as long as he works on it, we might even be seeing him in a couple of cup games for Brentford at some point, you know, a few sub appearances here and there. And I mean, he's only 18. Um, We might even see him go out on loan come January or something like that to maybe somewhere in League One or the Championship. And then after that, who knows, maybe a starting uh, 11 spot next season or season after. And to add a bit on the Yarmouk case, uh, there's no Brentford C is there. There's nowhere to fall. It's all or nothing, right? <laughs> and it's only the start for him as well. It's a great case of a different mindset. You know, it's an example for the future Ukrainians who might uh, be, might consider becoming new Jaka brothers or whatever. You know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, if you read the context of to, of uh, this year, uh, Yarmouk. Uh, uh, transfer is all about the mindset. If he 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 wouldn't he would not be in Real Madrid starting lineup in two or three years. Let's face that. But they have a young guy from Denmark, Sorensen, in in Brentford, and he is decent, right? He's a good player, but he can he can only consider himself playing in middle uh, middle table uh, EPL or Championship team. Same for Yermoluk. It's all about if you want to stay there and play in Europe, and it's not the Champions League team like all the previous uh, great Ukrainian players abroad like to move on to. Like, I would like to play in a Champions League team. No, it's not like that anymore. It's either lose or use or lose. And that's the question for Yamaluk and the upcoming generation of footballers. I just want to chuck in there as well. Um, speaking to Brentford guys, a bit like what Andrew said about the opportunity of playing a couple of cup games. It's going to break my heart if he doesn't go out on loan this month. I, I want to see him in League 2 or the non-league for, for six months. Give you a classic example of Max Kuchariari going to Brecon City in the Highland League last year. 
that got that lad on the right foot. That really sort of sorted him out. He went from looking like a school kid playing football to being like a brick shit house with a school kid's face playing football instead within six months. And, you know, he competes in Scottish football now and he copes with it. And playing friendlies for a, a part-time academy team isn't going to do that for him. It's really not. So I, I'm just I'm scared there for him that it's going to hinder his growth because I do see him if 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 they get his development right. I do see him in the Champions League team in five years' time. It's um, not opinion. Yeah, so, sorry, Adam. Just one last bit. What I'm saying is that uh, all the other guys before Yamaluk and Kuchirawi, they wanted to go to the team which is something in Europe. They didn't want to fight their mm-hmm. way in. They would rather go there, like Mikhailichenko did with Anderlecht. And in two years, what do we see? He's come back in Shakhtar. That's not the story we are looking at anymore. It's very true, very true, and yeah, I just it's so excited about his potential. It's 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 for me probably more potential than Mudrick, given his age, and given the right coaching, he can certainly go a lot further than Mudrick will in the game. Uh, nice transfer, foreign transfer to finish up on was uh, the Idnatenko. Finally got his his situation sorted with Bordeaux, of course, if you've been following the story with the, the former French champions that they were relegated and then demoted to the third tier, but have won their appeal against it. I think quite rightly so, trying trying to remain neutral. But I read that uh, Barcelona still owed them 10 million and they the French authorities hadn't counted that into their finances. So... Given, given the fact the money was there for them to compete in League Two this year. And League Two is you know, sort of one of my dark secrets is I really like French League Two. I think it's a great league. And some of you who know that I do scouting away from hosting the best Ukrainian football podcast ever made, um, was Doing my courses, we did nothing but watch League Two French football, and there is so much talent there. So he is going to develop in that league. He's going to be up against some real good quality players, and hopefully that will only be to the benefit of the national team whilst he has his time in French football. Domestic transfers, there's been a ton of them. How many players did, was it Benipro who signed like 27 players in one weekend, Andrew? No, it was actually uh, six players. Uh, I just got excited as always. Yeah, nothing too out of the ordinary or even you could say uh, eye-catching Artem Hromov, who we've known has been training with them for a long time, finally got a permanent deal announcement. Um, Then a couple of loans from Metalist Tarkiv and three permanent transfers from Metalist Tarkiv, including Tanchik, who is one of Metalist's better players over the past couple of years, uh, Ruslan Babanko uh, getting involved, an old throwback to, to the good old days of uh, mid-2010s uh, UPL. And, you know, I, I don't think they're particularly inspiring, but they'll just add stability into the team that Alexander Kutcher has now officially been announced as the manager that we've known for about a month now. However, um, there is, you know, the question of what's happening with Dolvik. Is he going anywhere? It seems very quiet now. You read some like random rumours every week that Torino are still after him, but I think it's going pretty quiet. And, you know, with the likes of Krasnikov coming in and he probably is, are going to be a bit strict on who can come in and out, you know, just knowing his metalist kind of history. Um, maybe we might be seeing Dovbik stay at least until the winter or, or something like that, because, you know, he is going to be their key player. And if they make it to the Europa League group stages, I think there might be incentive for him to stay himself, you know, just to boost up that price tag a bit more. Because I think some of the offers that Dnipro One have probably been having so far are inadequate in their eyes for what they think he, his value is. Um, yeah, on the whole, 
on the whole, I think uh, Pro one strengthening okay. Uh, Vorskla, as I mentioned, signing a couple of players, hopefully see a few more coming in. But they look to be the team with the most foreign players in their squad so far. You know, how that's going to work out, you know, where they're going to be based, I think, is still not 100% certain. Lviv, I think, was, as far as I'm aware, being rumoured, or even Ushvarod. Um, so, sort of an in-and-out job. Then you've got Shakhtar. They might be getting Zubkov, who dis- expressed some discontent with some fans who were giving him abuse on Instagram over the weekend. Someone saying, Gal Fenerbahce said, I hope so soon. So, mm-hmm. you know, if that's if that's a thing, obviously he's been out of favour with Cherchesov over the past last few months. He was getting into his team, I guess, in the first few months after the after the 24th of February, but then he just completely faded out. Is it related to the fact that obviously the manager is a cuts-up? It's not 100% confirmed, but maybe has some sort of links, but it looks like Zubkov is pushing for a move and wants to go back to Shakhtar, and they are in need of a quality, you could say, right winger. And I think he would give them enough quality that they need and sort of that is available to them at the moment. So, yeah, that would be interesting nonetheless. Obviously, you mentioned Bogdan Mihailochenko has returned in recent days after sort of an unsuccessful two-year spell at Anderlecht after kind of a bright start and then it just all faded away. And... Yeah, then some of the lower lower table um, sides. Uh, Alexandria have brought in a number of players. Um, they I haven't seen that. Uh, they, they've, they've brought in uh, Vikenti Voloshin from Dynamo Kiev, who looked okay last season for Desna before uh, an injury impacted him. Kriv Bas have obviously brought in a whole ton of players from across Ukrainian football. Um, so they should be have a a squad in depth to at least have a stable first six months in the UPL. And then um, everywhere else, I think it's going to be very much up for grabs, but um, looking forward to hopefully the next few weeks, just to see as the teams are prepping and counting down towards the opening match day. Yeah. One signing that caught my eye was uh, Bezbarabko. Did I pronounce it right? Has gone to Zoria now. So kind of fills in that striker void that we were talking about with Alekyar and uh, Zahidi and Khromov all moving on to new pastures. Got to say, by the way, uh, Alekyar really settling in well in the championship, isn't he, at home? Uh, great to see. Uh, great to see him making waves hitting English football over there. Uh, Ray, any tra- transfers that we've not mentioned that have caught your eye? Or have, 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 have we sort of rounded everything up there? I guess it did, Adam. I, would like, I wouldn't like to consider Azorius or Dnipro's transfers as, as anything, uh, as Andrew pointed out correctly, it's for stability, you know, because it's just, it's going, it's a merry-go-round every season. My favorite transfers, you probably know already. I've mentioned them briefly before. I, I can I can say it again. The former Dynamo 2 players, which are coming back to Ukraine, which were legends of the clubs, but the clubs which are not related to football in any means in Kiev, you know, in the nightclubs, the ones which are locked now. <laughs> so the guys are obviously coming back to play some football now, and they are in various teams, Korkishko, Linik, Dovhi, and Rybalka. So stay tuned to that. That's great to see. Great to see. Yeah, and just and just before we end, uh, there has been a couple of bits coming out of Dynamo Kiev, uh, not official, but Kirillov Kovalets, who's been training with them of late, is not signing. Apparently, he was just there for fitness and is looking to get <clears throat> that move abroad somewhere where we don't know. And it looks like for that problematic left wing position. Uh, Vladislav Kabaev might be taking that up Mm. who um, apparently Luchescu has given the go-ahead and both Viktor Vatsko and Ihor Burbas have been discussing it so you know there might be a bit of legs in that and it seems that he has been you know pushing to leave or get 
get a move somewhere else from Zoria uh, recently anyway. So that'll be interesting. I mean, we've seen him in the Europa League in recent years, been playing as like a centre forward and he's looked very ineffective there. Maybe he might be a bit better pushed out on the left because he's got a lot of pace, but just not much finishing ability. So hopefully that can be a bit more fruitful for him. A good replacement for Antu. One final bit of news. Uh, Shakhtar, of course, have announced where they will be based this year, having signed an agreement with Leisure Warsaw and will be uh, spending the weeks in the Polish capital before travelling back to Ukraine to play their domestic games whenever they happen to be scheduled. But that's it for today, guys. Uh, it's been nice to have a good catch-up. Seems to be lots going on without very with very little happening when we stop and have a look at it. So <laughs> tons of things going on there. So it's going to be a great couple of weeks ahead with uh, the European Games, of course. Right? You excited? I, I know you're excited for them. Uh, I hope you enjoyed them as much as you'll have enjoyed spending this hour with me and Andrew tonight. Definitely. As, as I started quoting the song, and Andrew just uh, referenced one of them slightly, uh, the stars are fading away. Just don't you worry. You'll see them someday. Take what you need and be on your way and stop grinding hard out. That's my motto for the following month for all of the Ukrainian clubs. And yeah, good luck to us. And thanks for having me again. That was, that was a pleasure. Certainly. Pleasure as always, right? Andrew, great as always. Excellent vlog, by the way, on the, on the Liverpool trip. Uh, good to good to see the content coming back out. Uh, people who haven't seen it, find it on Vuzbirna, the uh, official YouTube channel of the Ukrainian national team. Sponsors VBet. There we go. There we go. Right, and that's it for everyone this week. I hope you've all enjoyed it as the home as much as I've enjoyed it here. Till the next time, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye bye. Oh, you, 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 o